1: Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is musician and actor Chesney Hawkes. Chesney's career started at the age of 19 when he appeared in the film Buddy's Song. The movie featured Chesney's song The One and Only, which went on to top the UK singles chart for five weeks and reached the top 10 in America. The song pretty much has a life of its own, having appeared in other movies including Doc Hollywood, Moon and Source Code. Chesney has since appeared on TV shows including The Games and Celebrity Big Brother for Channel 4, ITV's Tech Santa and Hit Me Baby One More Time and Celebrity Masterchef and Let's Dance for Comic Relief on BBC One. Chesney has also appeared on stage in musicals Can't Smile Without You and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Chesney is what I like to think of as one of our dream almost famous guests, as not only is he experienced fame himself, but he comes from a family of famous people too. Chesney's father is singer Chip Hawks of 60s band The Tremolos, and his mother Carol was an actress too. So I'd love to give a huge, almost famous welcome to Chesney Hawks. Chesney, how are you? Hey Barnaby, I'm
2: great. Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem at all. You're uh, you're in LA, so you're, you know, you're as remote as we've had on the show so far. And uh, how are you dealing with the weird COVID?
2: Oh, I'm your furthest yeah, guest.
1: You're my furthest guest. How are you dealing with like the weird COVID isolation?
2: Well, um, I'm, I'm locked in uh, with my uh, wife and three children, a dog and a cat. Um, I mean, it's affected my business, as you could possibly imagine, um, dramast- uh, dramatically, because, uh, you know, most of my, my life, half of my life anyway, is, is touring so i'm always away i'm always on a airplane some going somewhere you know on a ship somewhere or going to a, to a festival or touring um so obviously everything has completely stopped um you know i'm i'm getting to know my wife and kids right now <laughs> it's crazy
1: um and uh what the question i always ask my guests first is what did you think of your intro did i miss anything out
2: Oh uh, no, I think you did really well. I lo- I love it. Uh when I do interviews like this, whether it's radio or podcast or TV or whatever, I always love it when um when my interviewer has done his research and you sound like you have definitely done that. <laughs> it's a it you know sometimes I just get people saying uh you know uh just asking questions like um you know uh, what was it like to have number one hit, and that's about it. That's all. That's about as far as I get sometimes. <laughs> and normally that's kind of provincial radio, you know. But uh, you obviously uh, know what you're doing here. Well, I try to uh, I try to
1: do some research. I don't... I Basically, it comes from the fact that I don't want to be embarrassed by anything once uh, I get into it myself. I don't want to sound like I haven't uh, made a good effort to get to know uh, a bit about my guests. Uh, I also always ask this question. Some people find this question easy to answer. Some people don't. But I'm interested to, to uh, see what you think. The question
2: is, Chesney Hawks, are you famous? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um. I guess yes would be the, uh, with the first answer that came out of my head, but, um, not so much, uh, in some parts of the world, but, um, I think I am famous particularly in England. Yes. I mean, I think I class fame as, uh, do, do people recognize you that don't know you? Um, so the answer to that question is yes. Um, so yeah, uh. I guess it's yes.
1: (laughs) And in terms of that, I actually, having interviewed a a lot of people and asked them that question, I kind of have a similar idea of of what fame is. I I think that's a a good way of putting it. How often uh, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, I guess... Particularly when you're in the UK at the moment, how often does that recognition still come your way?
2: Um, well, when I'm in England and Europe, actually, as a whole, um, it, it's uh, you know it's, it's an everyday occurrence. Um, depending on where I am, you know, if I'm if I'm in the the town that I lived in for uh, for like ten years, and my parents still live there, and my brother lives there, everyone knows who I am. Um, but it's because I was a dad at the school; <laughs> I was kind of like the local celebrity, you know. Um, so in, in that respect, um, that happens a lot, but like, you know, it, um, over here where I live here, one of the reasons that, I'm, that I moved over here was to kind of get away from that a little bit and to give the kids, um, you know, a relatively normal, um, uh, upbringing and, uh, existence without having to kind of deal with that kind of, uh, craziness of fame. Cause obviously there's all sorts of, of sides to it. Um, they're positive and negative, um, so, uh, but I do get recognised for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly in England. And
1: uh, I think talking about your kids is a good thing because uh, I can sometimes hear them in the background. I think tell us a little bit about your living <laughs> situation in LA at the moment. So our audience know that when we hear them on Zoom doing classes in the background, there's a reason behind that.
2: Well- Yes, or asking me questions, you know, like what, what have you done with the cornflakes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not the average uh, place I would be. It would be recording a podcast. In fact, I know that we were originally planning to do this in London, weren't we? We were. Um, so yeah, uh, so I'm doing this from uh, from my lounge, and I have my three kids here. I've got uh, Casey, who is eighteen, um, and uh, I have my daughter is sixteen, and I have a fourteen year old son. Um, who is a obsessed with uh, with guitar? So uh, hopefully he won't be picking up a guitar in, in the next forty five minutes. But it, it's hugely possible that I might have to uh, interject and ask him to wear headphones.
1: <laughs> no, that that will be absolutely fine, and the audience will know no different because I will cut it out. But I think it's definitely good to have have talked about that because this is then um, you know you talked about your your certainly one of your children loving music and you as i mentioned um are the son of a, a pop star as well your dad chip hawk so tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with a a famous dad and wanting to follow him into music as well
2: yeah my i mean there's uh, my brother and sister and i um uh, are all uh went into music in the end um i think uh, you know my brother's a drummer my sister's a singer songwriter um and i think that um because we grew up in a household where there were guitars propped up in every corner. Um, and uh, you know, dad even had a little recording studio out the back. Um, and all of his friends were, were 60 superstars like, uh, Jerry Marsden from Jerry and the pacemakers and Dave Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch were all like uncle Dave and uncle Dozy and Uncle <laughs> Beaky. And you get the idea. Um, and, and so I kind of, you know, D- dad was a very uh, sociable guy and, and, uh, you know, we, we always, he was always, uh, throwing, um, kind of parties where, where they'd have a, like a makeshift stage where, you know, people would get up and jam. And, um, you know, I grew, grew up in, in a very, you know, liberal kind of, uh, fun musical household. Um, so, you know, I, I think it, it, it's kind of in the blood, it's in the bones. Um, you know, I started singing from a very young age. Um, and, uh, you know, and dad obviously kind of, you know he, he had an amazing record collection of the beatles and stevie wonder and and in all these incredible um records that i discovered um you know as a young man um so i for me when when it came to the point um uh, where i knew what i wanted to do um it was it seemed like a natural course of action um you know that that fame wasn't um wasn't a strange beast for me um, cuz I, I at that point i had i knew a lot of famous people my parents knew a lot of famous people i was hanging around with famous people so um, uh, i would kind of seen it, you know, even like going to my dad's gigs, you know, and watching from, from behind the wings and seeing him do his thing and seeing fans and how they react and how, how people react to to people that are famous. Um, and it can be kind of a, you know, a, a strange, uh, reaction sometimes when people, uh, you know, come face to face with someone they've seen on the telly. Um, and, uh, so I, I witnessed that, um from, you know, as a kid, uh, with, with my, with my dad and with my mum, actually, uh, and, and, you know, mum and dad's friends even, uh, you know, uh, obviously, uh, my dad knew people like, uh, um, like Mike Reed was a good friend of ours from, you know, he was a radio one DJ when I was a kid. And so, you know, I would be woken up, uh, by, by listening to him on radio one and then, you know, the next day we'd be over for a dinner party with my parents. So. <laughs> Uh, You know, I I kind of, I I saw it, I lived it, uh, and then when it came to be kind of my my turn, um, it didn't seem like uh, an alien thing. Uh, If you see what I mean.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. Like the the genesis of this uh, podcast is because my mum had a number two hit in the 70s. Um, My dad was in a Liverpool band called The Mojos. who's the lead singer in the 60s. And my stepdad in the 90s was Angus Deaton. So it's about exactly what you're just talking about. Especially the first series where I interviewed other people who who grew up around um, famous parents or famous siblings. And just that feeling for me and wanting to own those feelings of um perhaps my childhood wasn't as uh, in in you know in speech marks normal um and uh just hearing you talk like that in terms of the parties, and even to be honest, like my pe- my mum was friends with Mike Reid as well, so that made me laugh. But um, <laughs> <That's so laughs> Ch- funny. Believe, believe it or not, audience, Chesney and I have never met. We've never had a conversation before, but we're finding out that we had uh, probably a very similar uh, similar <laughs> liberal upbringing. Um, There's probably other people in common as well. Barnaby.
2: are we the same kind of age? Uh,
1: you're you're a little bit older than me. Like I definitely, uh, I'm 39, but I and I definitely remember. Um, when the one and only came out and stuff like that but uh I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of what you just talked about um you talk with such positivity about about your childhood and that hasn't always been the case with people I've interviewed so there was never any sense with you at all that um you kind of yearned for a more normal life or anything like that as you were growing up
2: I didn't have that experience no uh, for me fame was a was something that i kind of wanted because i always wanted to be a musician i always wanted to sing i always wanted to write songs it it was the path for me and i i don't think that there was ever anything else in my mind as far as what i wanted to do you know the only other job i had um was a uh, as a paper boy <laughs> at like 14 years old um so 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 making music uh was my path and of course that was what my dad did. So, so I, I saw him as, you know, as a, gu- a guide to, to where I was going to go. Um, you know, so for me, I, I, I didn't want anything else. It was magical. F- you know, the music industry was magical or, or not, not the industry, just making music was magical. And I always knew that it was. So I didn't want, I was, I was happy being in a, in an, uh, an interesting, different world. Um, my, you know, my family were, were, were fun. Um, you know, there was some crazy sides to it, I guess, you know, looking back when I, maybe I think, well, maybe that was a bit wild. Um, but, <laughs> and I'm sure you can relate to that. There's certain things that, that happened that maybe, maybe I wouldn't do, uh, myself, but, but it was, it was fun. It was, it was mad. It was wild. And, uh, you know, I have great memories, uh, from as a kid. And, um, I've watched this brilliant...
1: uh, I'm just going to implore the audience to watch this. Go on Chesney's uh, website and watch this amazing video where you did a talk in LA and discussed how... in in about 12 minutes so i'm going to ask you to make it a little shorter but basically discuss how when you told your father that you also wanted to become a pop star he basically gave you the summer holidays and said if you're not a, if you're not a pop star by the end of the summer holidays then you're going back to school could you just give the audience a little idea of of what what happened there and how it actually all came to fruition yeah yeah
2: um when i yeah when i left school um at the age of 15 uh, well kind of late fi- late 15 I want that's all I wanted to do was play music and so my dad says so what are you going to do here then I said well I want to be a pop star or or I want to be a musician I think is what I actually said I w- that's what I want to do with my life and he said to me okay okay son if uh if you're not earning money by the end of the summer in music then you need to go to college because you need a backup plan uh, which is not something that he ever did I have to say although he <laughs> he um he was a uh, uh um, a trained carpenter from an early age so maybe I'm misspeaking there but I um, I took that on board and, and I went out and I was I had already like played live and, and done, done a few little gigs but I went out and I found gigs around the area I, I went and played in pubs and wine bars and clubs and, uh, and by the end of the summer I was doing weddings and you know all sorts of things around the air, playing kind of john lennon um you know uh, uh barry manilow and billy joel and stevie wonder songs uh and just uh, an elton john you know just sitting in the corner as the piano man uh, and by the end of the summer i was actually doing pretty well and and managing to kind of pay my way as it were uh, so so uh, dad said okay so it looks like uh looks like you're you're on the way then and during that time um, is when my, my kind of break came along where I, I auditioned for a, for a part in a film. And the only reason I really wanted to to do this film, um, was because it, it was in a way into the music industry for me because the film was, uh, starring Roger Daltrey, uh, from the who, and I, it was a, a musical kind of film. It was, it was a, based in the music industry and the kid was, was supposed to be a singer and a, and a guitar player and. And so I thought, well, that's my way into the music industry, you know, so, so I, in that time I went and did that and eventually ended up uh, getting the part, which was, you know, incredible because um, uh, there was a lot of people going up for that part. And I was just very lucky, right time, right place. And I, I was, you know, right for the part and end up getting that part. And so, <laughs> but it wasn't quite by the end of the summer, but like literally a year later, um, I, you know, I was... I was well on my way there. So, you know, Dad, uh, Dad uh, stuck to his word and uh, I didn't have to go back to college.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: (laughs) But I'm interested because um, it feels like almost him putting that deadline on it probably helped give you the the motivation to make sure that you were um, doing whatever it took to pursue that passion of yours I'm also intrigued just to wonder um, whether if because because this was in the eight, late 80s and back before before um, X factor pop idol any of those opportunities that I think now lots of young people use to try and Um, find their way into the industry I wonder if you've ever given much thought to how you would have found a way in had it not been for that opportunity
2: um it's funny when I when I was about 16 something like that you mentioned um X Factor um There was a show on Sky called Search for a Star. I don't know if you remember it. You were probably too young. I
1: vaguely remember the name. Um,
2: Yeah, yeah, it was Sky Star Search is what it was called, sorry. And Keith Chegwin was the the host. And I actually had a band at the time called Adrenaline. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) And my brother was the drummer. I know, I know, yeah. And and I had, you know, crazy long mullet and uh, a crystal cross in my ear. And uh, my brother was was the drummer and I had... uh, my guitarist, uh, Gary Nuttall, who now has gone on to be um, Robbie Williams' guitar player. And uh, and we went on uh, to that, that show. So it's funny. It, it, I know it's not quite X Factor, and it really wasn't because uh, Sky was not what it is now. It was a kind of, you know, an underground starting point for what Sky has become. In the very, very early days. And nobody watched it, to be honest with you. It was one of those things. So, um, so I did actually go that route for a little bit. I, did, I, mean, I, I didn't win it or anything. Um, but it's hard to say, uh, what I would have done if I didn't have that, uh, that guidance from, from the old man. Um, you know, I, I'm, I carried on, uh, that kind of need for deadlines with projects. I think it's a really, really important thing to have. And I think that probably was the first deadline I ever had, my dad saying that. And now when I do projects, like, I'm you know, I'm writing a musical at the moment and, we're always giving ourselves deadlines to, to finish certain drafts, to finish certain songs, to you know, to to maybe you know work towards a table read or something like that. And I'm the same with. I've just finished an album. We made sure that I had a deadline to, to for every all the music to be finished. And I think that that is a very important thing. I know I know a lot of uh, you know authors and writers that say the same thing. If you give yourself a deadline, then you know it's you have more of a chance of actually finishing something. I mean, I know in the past I have had projects that I've worked on that just had no kind of end in sight. And, you know, we just now and again, when we get together, let's just do like passion projects, whatever. We'll do another song for that. We'll do another song for that. But it never ends up getting finished. So I'm a big fan of deadlines, actually. And I think maybe that that moment with my dad gave me, uh, you know, my first taste of that.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree on it. As a creative person myself, I completely agree. And also, I just read an article today where the... Um, the musician Charlie XCX was saying how she's doing this project during isolation where she's recording her album all on her own and releasing it on her own and doing the artwork. And she's saying, basically, I don't know why I haven't worked like this before. And I think kind of giving her giving herself a deadline to do this has really helped in that. Um, you, uh, you talked about the amazing process of how you uh, got the film part. And in that film was the song, The One and Only. Um, we mentioned a little bit about at the top, how people tend to only ask you about this, but I do need to go into it a little bit. What, what is it like um, being so well renowned for potentially that one moment and that one moment having been right at the beginning of your career?
2: That's a question uh, that I, I, I do get asked and I, not particularly in that way, actually. That was, it was an interesting way of putting it because it's something I think about quite a lot. Um, I remember at the time, So I was, imagine this, 19 years old and I was putting my first single out and it started to climb the charts. Um, There was a moment where, funnily enough, it it went um, in the midweeks, which is something that doesn't exist anymore. But There was a thing back in the the day, back in my day, um, in the late 80s and early 90s, where uh, on a Wednesday you would get the midweeks. Uh, which is a prediction of where the record is going to go, where it's going to come in on the Sunday. So it's a Wednesday and Thursday, you get the midweeks. And uh, there was one week where I think the record was about um, kind of 60-ish. And then the midweek said it had dropped right out to 80-something, which normally in those days meant it's all over, the record's done. But on the, so they didn't actually tell me, the record company didn't tell me. And that that Saturday I did uh, the Little and Large show. (laughs) <laughs> which was a huge saturday evening entertainment show um and it, it it did the the job it it kind of put me back on back into the charts and then it came into the top 40 uh, that following week and then people started to cotton onto it i guess and that's when when uh, there was a real rocket put under the record and it and it started flying up the charts and i remember it came it got to number 5 a couple of weeks later and my manager at the time, Bill Kerbishley, who was also the manager of The Who and Led Zeppelin. So <laughs> he had Led Zeppelin, The Who and me. <laughs> Interesting eclectic mix there. Um, and so so Bill Kerbishley, uh, he's, he brought us into um, me and uh, the team into, into his uh, office when it was number five and looking like it could possibly, you know, go all the way up. And he said to me, I really hope this isn't a number one. And so at the time I just thought, well, he's, he's lost his marbles here. You know, (laughs) of course we want it to be number one. Um, but his reasoning was that it would be a really difficult thing to follow up. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to, to, to move on from that and, and still kind of carry on a, um, a career, you know? And so I think what it, what it's done to me, um, to have that kind of success on my first single and the, f- and of course, you know, it being called the one and only, uh, I think, uh, kind of added to that kind of, uh, the, the cult of it in a way, um, that it, it's been difficult for me, uh, to get away from. Um, so there's the negative side of it. And, you know, people ask me, has it been an albatross around your neck? You know, and, and yes, I think in that, in that respect, it probably has been. Um, but if I look back at my career, I would never ch- change what happened there because it was an incredible experience for a start. Um, that song, uh, that record has become, as you said, at the beginning, it kind of has a life of its own. It's I, I call it a song with wings. You know, it, 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 it did way more, um, than it said on the tin. <laughs> it went off and and now the great thing about what we do in music is you know people have connections with songs and i think that the one and only uh, has become one of those songs where people remember it and they have uh, you know beautiful memories as from when they were children and, or even like the first kiss and and all that kind of stuff and so um so my thoughts about it are that i love it and now when i play it live um it has a real, like, energy comes from the crowd, you know, and it's not just because I because I love to play it. But then the crowd, when I play it, when it opened, just on that on that kind of a, iconic intro that it, that it has there, and you can you can just literally feel the energy from the crowd, and and then I feed off of that. So, so I'm proud of it, um, and I love playing it, and and I also love to hear the stories of people have over the years. Uh, like, for instance, just as an example, like obviously it's been, it gets played at weddings and things like that, but it also gets played at funerals and stuff. And one example of that is uh, I had um, this lovely message uh, email came through from, from a group of guys that had a a friend of theirs that passed away that the, where the one and only was like his favorite song. And whenever they were out clubbing or at pubs or whatever, that when it came on, they would lift him up and he would sing it from on top of their shoulders, you know? Um, And then after he passed at their funeral, they, they had the one and only play at the at the funeral, and at that moment when the song came on, they lifted him up in the coffin. Uh, you know, it's like, like you can't write that kind of stuff. It, you know, obviously, it, it's, you know, it's a very very emotional, um, and that's the kind of thing that music can do. It, it can change you, and it can it can take you back. You know, and, and the, the beautiful thing about nostalgia is it 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 helps you kind of you know go back to a time when maybe things were in your mind you know better or just you know more innocent and and uh and I I do love that about music
1: yeah that's so great to hear you talk so um proudly about it because I've certainly heard uh, I've seen lots of interviews and heard lots of of people who have tried to basically rid themselves of their past glories um, for one reason or another. And I always find that a little... I always find it a little bit grotty. Um, I'm going to i am gonna ask a few questions kind of in one, but just because we're having some technical issues and you're talking really, really eloquently about this stuff. So I've, um, you know, in my research, I've seen you talk about how you didn't um, make any royalties from the one and only for like 10 years. I'm kind of intrigued to hear on behalf of the audience who don't know much about the music industry, how that kind of thing works. Um, but also then I've also seen you talk about how uh, at the time you definitely spent the money that you got uh, or perhaps didn't get too extravagantly and kind of regret that. I wonder if you could talk us a little bit through uh, that period of time.
2: Sure. Um, Well, the way it works or certainly worked in the industry back then is you assign to a record label and in my case, uh, a major record label and they pay for everything. They pay for your travel, they pay for the, rec- the, the record to be made, you know, studio time, they pay for the videos, they pay for your clothes, they pay for photographs, uh, everything, you know, comes out of, of the coffers of the record label. But what you don't realize at that time is that you have to pay everything back before you make any money. So in my case, uh, a lot of money was spent the the videos were extortionate i remember making one video for for a single where we came over to la and filmed in the desert and spent like quarter of a million quid uh i remember when we actually saw the final thing it it literally it could have been rec- filmed in a in a, a studio in balham or something you couldn't really tell the difference you know it was such a waste of money and so for me um even though I had, you know, huge success, uh, with, with, with one single and, and then the album, the album did really well as well. Uh, I, I never managed to, to kind of recoup what that, what the money that was actually spent until 10 years afterwards. Like, you know, that was 91 when I put that record out, I never actually made any money from, from that record until, uh, 2001. And by then it was slightly different kind of, uh, money that was coming in it was like sinks as you say the, film, the record was used in films and things like that so it's not money that i could have lived on <laughs> and uh, and so so that side of the industry is, is interesting for people that don't know it um and and of course i did the classic um thing when i was when i first made it where where there was money coming in barnaby that you know don't get me wrong i i you know there was money from advances from publishing companies and and merchandise. And so I did, I did actually, you know, make good money in, in those days. And, uh, but I did the classic, uh, you know, young pop star thing where I just kind of spent it all. I I bought everyone in my family, a car, you know, I, I spent a fortune on an all singing, all dancing studio, you know, I bought a, I had a convertible car myself, you know, and, bought a house and which was actually the best thing I ever did because I still had that house which I'm so grateful for but uh you know it was the classic pop star you know extravagance
1: it's out I mean it sounds just like a kind of tale as old as time doesn't it like because my brother as well he in the late 90s got a big record deal with Virgin and I think even now we talk about we talk about how he made the mistake of not buying a house so at least you did do that um that sounds like uh the best thing you possibly could have done um but buying at least buying the cars for your at least buying the cars for your family what a lovely thing to do no
2: they they, they very much uh uh liked the fact that i bought them all the cars believe me <laughs> and and funnily enough you mentioned that that house i mean right now while we're in lockdown um that is the uh, we rent that house out and it's the only only uh, money that's coming into the Hawks household right now into Hawks Towers so thank god long live
1: the uh, one and only house we'll call it um i went on your dad's website and he talked about how he gave up touring to be your manager in the late 80s is that right and
2: and what was like mixing business with family like um you know that that had its um, issues um my it was great having him uh, with me i was young I was, it wasn't late 80s it was early 90s when dad did that um he he just kind of t- came off the road from the tremolos and decided to you know hundred percent be with me and of course my brother was with us as well so he was seventeen at the time so we needed to have you know a parent or a guardian with us on tour and dad was the o- obvious choice there were times um when you know when money gets involved um in this with family where it can be tricky I don't want to go too much into into it but you know there were times when it was a little bit tough Uh, but as a whole it was great to have him on the road with us Um, you know he he'd been through it himself in the 60s and having lots of success so he kind of helped us through the the pitfalls and some of the crazy trappings that you know and trying to keep our Keep keep our heads uh, out of the clouds and feet on the ground. Um, and I think one of the things that is very important if you have some kind of very fast fame is to have that. Uh, you know, people that are grounded and and willing to and and happy to to be there for you and and not, and also tell you what's real and what's not. You know, because it's so easy to believe your hype and so easy to become you know, Billy, Billy big balls, as it were, and, and, and start believing all the things that people say about you. Uh, and that's the one, that's the other thing about fame that is, is, is difficult, you know, to, to try and keep your, your own integrity and your, and yourself, um, because you lose a little bit of your life. And, and I think it was probably good to have family around me at that time. Yeah. That makes, in particularly my brother, funnily enough.
1: Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm aware that uh, you've, got a, you've got another Zoom meeting coming up in just about 10 minutes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of make uh, the, the rest of the questions a little more, uh, a little kind of quicker and a little smaller. Just before we go into kind of slightly more um, kind of uh, ones from, with more pithy answers, I just wanted to uh, go into kind of the end of your record contract because I've seen you talk about how eventually your record label stopped returning your calls. How did that feel and, and, and kind of, um, you know, was that really hard to kind of bounce back from?
2: Yes, that was a difficult time for me, um, looking back at it, because I was so young, and the the huge success happened in, when I was 19. And uh, what happens when you're part of a, you know, the record business machine is you, you have the same people around you all the time, and it becomes a little bit of a family. And there were, you know, girls and guys that around me that were very much, you know, for a few years, very much kind of, every day part of my life. And I counted them as almost family, you know? And so when, uh, when it, did, and I traveled all around the world with them. So we experienced all these crazy things together and had really an amazing times together. So when it kind of started to go downhill, as far as my relationship with the record deal and the record label, and then they ended up dropping me, uh, and I couldn't get these people even on the phone and they wouldn't return my, my calls. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in a house that I just bought, having left my, my family home, uh, without having all these people around me. Uh, it was, it was difficult. It felt like, uh, I always say this as a an analogy, where it felt like one minute I was in the club, in the VIP room, you know, with champagne flowing and everything that you could wish for as a young boy. And, uh, and then, you know, the bouncer comes and, and uh, kicks, kicks you out of the back door, and you you end up, you know, on your ass in the cur- on the curb there, and that's kind of how it felt. Um, but I'm very very glad that that did happen uh, because I feel like it made me a little bit more of a rounded person, having experienced the highs and lows of the business. Uh, end of life in a way
1: yeah you really come across as if um you've obviously that to me sounds like a kind of big mental health moment to recover from but it it sounds like you are such a grounded person that you've despite having been through the ringer on on that front you've you've kind of come out with it uh, of it all with this positivity that's really great um i'm just going to ask some now kind of more quick fiery questions so if you can come up with some pithy answers we ask all
2: of our guests these so um first off what's the best thing about being famous I would say the best thing about being famous, well, in the old days, it was like getting into clubs for free. <laughs> you know, that that was always, there was always like, my friends always loved my fame because I could always get them into these great places. <laughs> these days, it, does, it doesn't work quite like that. And
1: uh, great answer. And what's the worst thing about
2: it? Worst thing about fame is that you lose your your own choice in life. You can't do certain things. I remember, you know, one day being able to go to the pub or go to the cinema or or even just walk down the street. Um, And then the next day I had to kind of hide in the back of my brother's car just to get out. And you can't really do when you had the height of fame that I had. You can't really just pop into the pub without, you know, just have a quiet pint with a friend because you're just going to get lots of hassle. I don't mind talking to people. In fact, I love meeting people. And these days it's not quite the same kind of uh, craziness. So I would say that's probably the worst thing. Okay,
1: great. And um, one thing that's in common with most of the people I've interviewed is the press having printed bullshit uh, headlines or articles about them. I wonder if you can think of the biggest example of lies you've read about yourself.
2: Oh my goodness. I mean, over the years, there's been so many um, different things written about me. Um, But this one isn't particularly a a lie as such, but... uh, one of the the crazy things about being famous is that obviously that the press want stories about you so i had uh, a girlfriend at the time and uh, i was a very i was you know classic kind of 19 year old pop star boy and uh, i was i was a bit of a naughty boy and went uh, and lied on a beach with another girl and at the time it was known that I had a girlfriend. And of course, that's the most slubrious thing. And it's all they want, isn't it? The, the, uh, the red tops. So they followed me, took pictures of me and then basically said, came up to me with this huge lens, this guy and said, right, well, we had the story and the pictures. So either we do the, sto- either you do the story with us or we're just going to print what the hell we want. And so I decided I was, I would, you know, talk to them and tell them the truth. But I hadn't told my girlfriend, obviously. So that was one of the hardest things I had to do was to call my girlfriend and say, "Um, you might want to pick up the sun tomorrow or you maybe don't want to pick up the sun tomorrow, but this is what's happening. (laughs) And it was a very difficult time that and all of my neighbors were offered crazy amounts of money and all my family were offered money to do stories on me and, uh, you know, tell, dish the dirt, as it were. So I definitely went through the ringer with that one.
1: Oh, Chesney, the, the classic, yeah, like you said, the classic naughty boy, famous person stuff. We've had a, yeah, we've had a few of those. Um, uh, one question, one more, two more, two more questions. Uh, the, the next one is, who's the most famous person in your phone?
2: Um,
1: Jamie Oliver. Oh, very good. Yeah, very good. Um, And the final question, Chesney, we ask all of our our guests this, knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give up fame if you had the chance? By which I mean you'd have the same life you have now, you have the same finances, you'd still be a musician, it's just no one would ever recognise you. Would you change that?
2: No, I wouldn't. I'm not one for regrets at all. I like what happened to me uh, as a, as a, a young man. And I think it still affords me to earn a living. Uh, so I'm very grateful to it. And I'm also grateful for the platform uh, because with Fame, you are also t- able to raise awareness for certain charities. So I would I would be sad to see that go.
1: Brilliant answer. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Chesney. Um, just before I leave with the outro, is there anything you'd like to plug? You mentioned an album. Uh, where can people go to hear your work? uh all of your social media stuff uh you've got an audience tell them where to find your stuff
2: oh thank you barnaby well um all things chesney hawks um you would go to chesneyhawks.com but um i've been working on a, a new a new concept here in lockdown where i'm i'm actually doing live zoom concerts uh from my living room and uh if you're interested in coming to see those uh, they are a lot of fun um, you go to liveandunfiltered.com and you can you can buy tickets there and uh, it tells you all all about it i also uh, give a pro- pro- some of the proceeds to to a chosen charity of the week i've got one this friday uh, for uh, workers and volunteers of the nhs so there you go. You either go to chesneyhawks.com or liveandunfiltered.com. Fantastic. And an excellent cause. Thanks guys at home for
1: listening to this episode of Almost Famous. Please do press that subscribe button. Uh, rate the podcast. Leave us a comment too. Find us on Instagram at, at almost famous, the podcast and on Twitter at podalmostfamous. And until next time, thank you Chesney Hawks so much. Been a brilliant guest. Goodbye.
0: Early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.